Hey guys, I hope you've been enjoying our podcast, Gripped, Awakening the Grown in a Generation for Revival and the Return of the Lord. It's with this in mind that I just released a new prayer album called Revival. These tracks will light you up. I believe they go hand in hand with this podcast and they will light you up and stir up revival in you. You can get it at iTunes or Spotify or wherever there's music streamed. Get it today. Bless you. Welcome to episode 7 of our first season of Gripped, Awakening the Grown in a Generation for Revival and Return of the Lord. I'm Billy Humphrey. And I'm Corey Russell. And we're excited in this episode because we're going to talk about our, kind of our favorite historic revivals. Yes. And um, because there's something about when you read the testimonies of what God has done through the history uh, of the earth, when he's broken in these seasons of visitation, how it it calls your heart to alert, it lifts your vision, and it it creates a seed of faith in you to believe for something more than you've ever seen. That's right. And so uh, we'll do that in this episode. We've talked about the biblical foundations. We've talked about our own personal encounters things that move us deeply. We I don't think we've made it through one episode without either going into groans or just weeping. Um, but today we'll talk about uh, these these historic revivals that have moved our hearts and recommend some books that you could read that you could really just, uh, you know, it would just cause your heart to, to come alive in this vision. So so I'll start off. So my probably my favorite revival that I ever read about, and I've read, I've read I mean, 30 books on revival. Yes. Um, probably my favorite one is the Welsh Revival in 1904, led by Evan Roberts. And uh, it was from about 1904 to about 1906. And this young man, Evan Roberts, he was 26 years old. And when I first read his story, I was 26. Yeah. And it did something in my heart. It gave me a vision for what God could do, how God could take over a nation and uh, it, it so profoundly impacted me that four years later, we named our first son Evan after Evan Roberts. I love it. But uh, so just quickly, the story is just fantastic. And you probably have com- components of this story, too, to, to throw in. But uh, this guy, this, so Evan Roberts, he's, um, he's this young man, and he, he feels a call into ministry. And so he goes to a ministry school, like a Bible school, because he's feeling the the urge of the Lord, and he's 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 feeling the burden of God for his nation, mm-hmm. and he would have these moments of he would get so deeply gripped in travail and 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 intercession, like during their their Bible classes, there were times where he fell out of his chair in intercession, in weeping and wailing in the classroom, and it was it was so intense that the instructors they didn't know what to do with him. They literally did not know what to do with him, and they had him checked out by a, a, a medical physician, a yeah. doctor, and they they uh, they diagnosed him with religious mania <laughs> because he was so gripped with intercession. So finally, they said, "This young man, he's he's disruptive. He's he's he can't function. We're going to send him home." So they literally sent him home from Bible school because wow. they didn't know what to do with this guy who was carrying this burden for his nation. 
So so he goes home and he he talks to his pastor and talks his pastor into letting him do. Um, he want he wanted to preach to the church and the pastor's like, hold on, hold on there, buddy. <laughs> let's let's put you in the neutral for a minute. But he, he talks his pastor into letting him gather the young people on an off night, like a Sunday night or something. And he gathers like 17 young people, and they're all like 18, 15, 17, yes, yes. 22. They're all these young people, and they start having these prayer meetings. And what happens is as he gets these young ones, these teenagers, these young adults crying out for revival, something begins to break open and something begins to spread. And it's literally a matter of weeks until other places, other churches begin to hear something's happened with the, these young people and they're, that are meeting there in Luffer, Wales. And, and so different churches say, hey, would you come and do a service for us? And every single time they would do these services, they, didn't, they were just waiting on Holy Spirit. They would just wait. They would seek God, wait on the Holy Spirit, and the conviction of the Lord would come through the singing and yes. through the intercession. And then Evan Roberts, he prayed this prayer, bend us, bend us, O Lord. And, and what he was saying was, bend us to your will. Yes. Everything that doesn't conform with your will, bend us. And he had these four kind wow. of components. And you, do you know all four of them? I, I, there's been days I have. I've just yeah, now yeah. named four. I should name it. Remove every questionable. Any questionable thing in your life. Follow the Holy Spirit. Yes. I know those two. Regular confession. Confession of sin. Yeah, and confession of Christ. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, I, and then there might have been one other thing in there. But I. Knew but he had that process where he was just calling people to get rid of anything that was questionable. Any doubtful thing. Doubtful thing. That was the phrase. Any doubtful thing. He goes, get rid of it. And... uh and immediately follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Well, this thing shortly begins to snowball until it literally begins to sweep the entire nation. And that's just before we get into this. I mean, you'll see that with the nature of revival. Yes. It'll begin at a seed form, handful of these. I mean, I, I remember one of the stories of, the, of one of the girls saying, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. And just how different those meetings would just continue to grow and you see it expand like that. Yes. Uh, there were many times the testimonies would come out of the meetings that Evan Roberts led where the people would be packing and as many people would be outside the meeting as were inside the yes. meeting. And and they would have him to, you know, come and lead the meeting and he would just wait. Yes. He'd just sit there and wait on the Holy Spirit. And what what was interesting is being such a young man, he was not given to the pressure of men to perform. That's exactly right. He just he waited on the Lord, and there, that's a theme because you see that with Azusa Street, you yes. see that in other places, and and so, it so starts exploding. This thing explodes, and uh, one of my favorite testimonies about the revival. I just share this one. It's the editor of this historic newspaper out of um, out of Great Britain. Uh, it was a, a paper that covered all of the United Kingdom. It was called the Pall Mall Gazette, and the editor from the Pall Mall Gazette was coming to Wales to do a story on the revival because now it's gotten, it's begun to get international, you know, uh, notoriety. And so what happens is he gets off the train uh, in in Luffer, and he, uh, 
he he begins to ask directions to the revival, and he wrote this in the Pall Mall Gazette. He said, uh, I, "I got off the the train or the boat or whatever it was," and he says, "And I get off and I and I ask directions, and this young man tells me if you'll go down to the end of the street, and then you turn left, walk, and you'll begin to feel it. Oh you'll begin to feel it." And uh, and then he would go on to comment about how the haunting fear of the Lord filled that that city, and he literally could feel the the heat of God in a zone in Wales in different spots uh, where where the Lord was moving. And uh, he he said somebody wanted to ask him, so how would you summarize this? What did you think about the revival? And he his answer was this. It's not what I think about the revival. It's what the revival thinks about me. Because <laughs> he, so, he was so investigated by the Holy Spirit. My gosh. But that, that revival, it, it brought the census numbers in the nation when they did, after, after 1906, they did a census to, to identify how many people were believers you know, oh it, and it brought the census numbers to literally 100% people in the nation claim to be Christian. And so you're talking about something that shocked an entire nation yes. and swept hundreds of thousands of people into the kingdom. And that revival is what envisioned Frank Bartleman exactly. in Los Angeles le it's, it's leading into like, Azusa It's Street. almost like it went. 1904 to 1906, because in that time they're writing letters, and Frank Bartleman's right. in Pasadena, in the Los Angeles area, and they're writing correspondence, right. and it's almost like it went from Wales to Azusa. Yes, and it and it's transference. I mean, I've even heard that they closed down the the soccer championship that year in 1904 <laughs> in Wales. You know, there's all kinds of reports of, but the the fact is, is that you see it go from there, and then that that would be. You know, other than maybe Nash and Finney, some of the things that have touched me in regards to the Second Great Awakening, what I loved is Frank Bartleman's account of the intercession yes. that led up to Azusa Street. Right. And So around 19, 1906. Yeah, this would have now moved into 1906. And, um, and you see this buildup of this man. He writes, it's pretty much a rough life. It starts with him at his daughter's funeral. Right. And... I think it, he had an, an Esther, and he's over her funeral, and he says, God, I fully resign myself to, to, uh, to see revival come to Los Angeles. And it was really there, even in the death of his daughter, that he went all the way in to see God move in uh, Los Angeles in Pasadena for Christ. And he be, the, the story he wrote, and it was called Azusa Street, mm -hmm. he begins to share. He, he would write these tracts. And he'd go out. He was barely living or barely surviving. But what you see with Frank Bartleman is this growing spirit of intercession. Yeah. Is the increase of what he would call the travail of the soul. Mm. And that, and, and, and maybe in another uh, a session, we'll talk about travail. travail. That'd be good. And because that's a real hallmark of mm. revival mm. praying yeah. is this season of birthing. Mm. And in the same way, natural children are born. So spiritual moves and yes. spiritual children are born. And but what you see in some of the lines from Frank Bartleman, and again, it's it's some stories, but even more than that, it's just phrases that get on the inside of you. He would say, "I would, 
it would be increasing. He said, I would literally be in soul travail for 24 hours. He said, now this is the phrase that, one of the phrases that changed my life. He says, I forgot to eat and sleep. I'm like, what is that? What is that? When's the last time I forgot to sleep? When's the last time I forgot to eat? And I'm like reading this. I go, this dude is possessed by the spirit of God in a way I don't know nothing about. Yeah. And the burden, and, and, and they're sharing. He's praying with these Beamer brothers, and they're having visitations with Jesus. He's showing up to them, and there's this growing sense, the train's coming. Yes. The train's yes. coming. And that's what you see really ratcheting up with, uh, uh, with Bartleman's intercession. And then right in the middle of that, I mean, Azusa Street began on April 6th. Six, nineteen oh six, right? April ninth, nineteen oh six. Yeah. But yeah. right there in that season, the great earthquake right. takes place. Right. I think in San Francisco and Los Angeles, yes. all the way down. Yes. And, and 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 this is another thing that 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 we want to talk about is what you'll see with all these revivals, is the is the timing that when God begins to come, you see a synergism of the groan of creation. Yes. You see creations grown. You see uh, the sin of man becoming ripe. You see the harvest of souls yes. becoming ripe. And in these seasons, so the earthquake in San Francisco happens, and Frank Bartleman writes a track through the night, and he begins to go. He says the preachers of the day were working overtime to say this isn't God and that God's not involved right. in this. Right, And he says, but I had to take my stand to say he's coming. Yeah. And he's shaking everything that can be shaken. I remember that. And then it just birthing. But then what I love about Azusa Street is, one, the intercession. But what I love is that God would use, because it's really good to study your history on this yes. stuff. The Holy Spirit was poured out afresh in 1901 in Topeka, Kansas. That's right. With Charles Parham and a group of some people seeking the baptism of the Spirit. That's right. Evidence of speaking in tongues. Agnes Allsman. There. January 1st, 1901. That's she's right. the first one that receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the gift of speaking in tongues. That's right. So it hits them. And so Charles would begin to go and preach in different places. He comes to Houston, Texas. And, and, there, and this is why I love, one of my favorite things about Azusa is that there is this black a man who's blind in one eye, yes. a Baptist pastor yes. who wasn't even uh, baptized, who wasn't even speaking in tongues per se like what he's preaching, but yet everything inside of what Charles was preaching was he believed it with all of his yes. heart. And he's, and because of Jim Crow laws, yes. he wasn't allowed even in the meeting. In the classroom. He wasn't right. even allowed in the classroom. And so he's out there hearing it. And as he's hearing it, so bearing witness with him, for a season, they have it to where he goes to the black churches, he goes to the white, but then God moves this man, William Seymour, yes. to Los Angeles, California. Yes. And up until that time, he was praying five hours a day for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? He says, pick it up to seven. <laughs> See, that's what happens in these seasons. God lays hold of you, and you think, you had about five hours. And he would put his head in an apple crate box. And he would seek God. And it was even a month into the Azusa Street outpouring until he would be even begin to speak in yeah. tongues. Because it started, actually, it didn't start on Azusa Street. It started on Bonnie Bray. That's right. And and they were meeting in a house. It was a house church because they they'd invited him in. Initially, they'd invited him in to pastor another church, and they kicked him because he was 
preaching the baptism of the Holy right. Spirit, even though he hadn't received the gift of, of speaking in tongues. But he's preaching, and they say, okay, you're not <laughs> what we thought. <laughs> and uh, they put him—so he, start, he starts this other fellowship on Bonnie Bray Street, and the crowds begin to grow, and it breaks the uh, porch. The porch breaks down because they can't hold the number of people, and then they move it into this abandoned sort of barn or whatever um, on Azusa Street. But uh, uh, a one-eyed uh, African-American this. man in the middle of Jim Crow, oh my God. God uses him to stand in the face yes. of racial injustice yes. in America to break in and pour out his spirit. And then just to make it a little bit you know, more, it's, it's a man named <laughs> Seymour. <laughs> a man who, who is blind in one eye, but his last name is Seymour. More, <laughs> it's just powerful. Like the Lord uses him. His whole testimony is a. And two hundred million believers later, I know that three and a half year season. They they tell the stories about Frank would say he would get a several blocks out, and he said I would have to pray to God for strength to make it to the building because of the manifest presence. I, I've heard fire departments. People would see yes. the building on fire. Yes, call the fire department. And they would say that it was a spiritual fire that was evident to the eye. That the fire of God was there, how William would speak to limbs and they would grow. Yes. The power of God, the fire of God. and he'd, Well, he'd lead the meeting by putting his head in an apple, apple crate. Yes. <laughs> I mean, just think about that. Uh, you know, it's kind of the same thing with... Uh, Evan Roberts, the, Evan Roberts would not allow himself to be painted or phot- photographed. Uh, there's very few images yeah, of like him that, one. that even um, have survived uh, because he just would not allow it to be focused on him. About and uh, Seymour did the same thing. And Seymour would literally sit in the front row of the church and put his head in this crate and just wait on the Holy Spirit. But there's a book. So there's, there's this book, the Bartleman book, called Azusa Street. Um, but the other book I would encourage you to get is, um, they told me their stories. Have you read that one? Parts. It's, uh, it's a guy who, what he did was he went and he, he, he interviewed all the people that had eyewitness accounts that were there. And then they explained all the outpouring stories, all the things that Holy Spirit did in that time. And, uh, from like people that were children during the um, Azusa Street outpouring, and they, they they would say they would play around, hide and go seek. The glory cloud would roll into the meeting, and they could literally run and hide amidst the smoke of the glory of God. They would <laughs> play hide and go seek in the glory in the church meetings. But the number of times that people saw an eye form in a socket yes. or an arm yes. literally just grow back in front of them. Yes. And, uh, of course, that revival was hallmarked by the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues. I would a say, racial, I mean, And unity. a racial unity. Yeah, Bartleman would say the, the uh, color line was washed away yes. in the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, my gosh. And uh, whereas Wales would have been hallmarked by deep repentance yes. and salvation, um, Azusa Street was there was repentance and salvation for sure, but it was hallmarked by the outpouring of Holy Spirit, yes. the baptism of Holy Spirit with glory. That, as Corey said, there are now 200 million believers in the earth 
that have come out of the tributary yes. that was released there in uh, Azusa Street in, in, in 1906. Yeah, I love this one. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Talk to me about Hebrides. Yeah. So this would have been like late 1940s? Yes. So yeah, late 1940s. And this is back over there. Now we're going back over there to uh, yeah, we're back island in, off of Scotland. Yeah, we're back over to Europe. So uh, the Hebrides revival, that's probably my second favorite. And then Cane Ridge would be in my... I mean, Azusa Street is kind of the big yes. big dog. You can't... But when you when I think about lesser known ones, I yes. go Wales, Hebrides, yes. and then Cane Ridge. But uh, Hebrides was led by a man by the name of uh, Duncan Campbell. I love this story. It's just a, it's a fantastic story because the people on the island were already praying. There were uh, these two older intercessor ladies, Peggy and Christine Smith. 84 and 82. Yeah, and, and one of them was blind. It's interesting. The other one had arthritis. Yeah, and they were doing these intercessory meetings, and they were calling their pastor to account. And they were saying, listen, God is coming. <laughs> You got to get right with God, and so uh, they pray. This is one of the most bizarre stories. They pray, and the Lord says, "I'm going to send Duncan Campbell." Well, Duncan Campbell uh, was already committed. They'd asked him to come. He was already committed to be at the the big convocation in England at the time. The name is uh, slipping me, um, but there was a huge ministerial convocation, and he's he's literally committed to that. So he has to tell them no. And uh, the two sisters, they got it from the Lord so clearly. They told the pastor, "Say, print the print the the announcements. He's coming." Yeah. And, and the pastor said, "No." He said, "He's he's not coming." He's, they said, "The Lord says he is coming." And so, they print the announcements that the the meeting's happening. And Duncan Campbell is sitting on the platform of this other giant convocation, and the Holy Spirit arrests him, and says, "What are you doing?" You're supposed to be at that meeting in the Hebrides Islands. So he literally cancels this bigger convocation and, and he, you know, gets all the boat, whatever, figured out. And he just goes ahead and goes uh, to the to the Hebrides Islands. And when he shows up, the uh, the shipmaster or whatever, the guy that is, is there to receive the boats, the ferries or whatever that are coming in, uh, he says, are you Duncan Campbell? He looks at him and says, are you Duncan Campbell? He says, well, yes. He goes, we've been expecting you. And he said, well, what do you mean you've been expecting me? I'm, I didn't tell him I was coming. I told him I wasn't coming. He said, no, no, the Lord told us you were coming. But, uh, and then they, they meet Duncan Campbell, and they look him in the eye, the two intercessors, and they, they say to him, and this is his own testimony, uh, they say to him, uh, Mr. Campbell, are you right with God? <laughs> he says, I fear the Lord. And they said, that'll do. That'll do. And so what they had already churned up in intercession was burning. And the Lord just used Duncan Campbell as this match to, to start the thing. And, and, and for me, that my, you know, my favorite story is that first uh, meeting. They call this meeting yes. and people gather. And it's a good meeting. It's, not, it's nothing out of the ordinary. It's a good meeting. God is there, but it's not a revival. And there's a young man, yes. as they dismiss the meeting, this young man, yes. he grabs Duncan Campbell, and, and, and he says, wait a minute. He says, the Lord 
the Lord promised he was going to pour out his spirit. And he starts quoting Isaiah 43. You're going to pour out your spirit. You said, and he says, to, he starts crying out in her sister, God, you said you would pour out your spirit. You would pour water on the dry grounds. Your spirit on them that are thirsty. You said you would do it. And then the, the, the young man, he says, what about the honor of your name? And he said, when the young man said that, he went into a frozen, like, trance, but a power was released at that young man's intercession. And that night, as they began to, they were walking, now he, now Campbell is walking out of the meeting, all of a sudden, horses and buggies and people start gathering to the meeting. They're, they've already done a meeting, but there's a group now showing up to the church, and they're saying, we feel drawn by God right now that were to continue to have a meeting. And they go back in, and that was the match that ignited the whole thing. And the story of the Hebrides is so profound because they literally, what was released on the Isle of Lewis, which is the, the, the main island where the thing started, it was so intense. People were turning themselves into yes. the police because they were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And they said you could drive in the middle of the night. You'd be driving your, your buggy or whatever, and, and you'd see houses with lights on at 2 and 3 a.m. in the morning and people crying out, groaning in intercession, wailing before the Lord as this, this spirit of travail had just come down and taken possession of the whole place. People turning themselves into the cops. <laughs> I mean, just think wherever you live. I mean, think that within a, like a 15-mile radius. Every pedophile ring, every crack house, every domestic violence, every sin that was ever known. I had heard the story as well, and I had heard that Duncan gets awakened at 3 in the morning, and he's walking to the house. He sees the people outside their house doing, on the laying on the hay bales, yes. crying out to God. He gets to the police station. It's packed, and he interviews one of the guys. He goes, why are you here? And this is the phrase. He goes, I don't know. He goes, all that I know is that everything I've ever done wrong was made known to me. Yes. And I knew I had to turn myself into the cop. Yes. That is the John 16, 8, spirit of conviction that that shines the light on everything done wrong yes. and the need for a savior. And I love that. And so that that just marked me so deep. I'd even heard another story with the Psalm 24 where he read, uh, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Yes. He who has clean Clean-ins. hands and a pure heart. He goes, God is my is my hands clean? Is my heart pure? Yes. And fire falls like God moves in that season with such deep intercession. See, I believe in that. What you just said about that guy, I believe in moments like that. Yes. I believe in transactional points where God brings us to such a place of desperation that it moves beyond good prayer, loud prayer, fiery prayer into a divine transaction because of the depth of uh, hunger and desperation that pulls something out of God. Yes. It's not that God's just some mechanical. When we talk about revival, it's not just some mechanical, it's now time for revival, but it's interchangeable yes. with hunger. And and, and we'll, we may talk about that later, but just this fact of that hunger that pulls something out of God that may have been reserved for another time. <laughs> yeah. And he definitely moves in response to the desire of a heart that says that they want him more than anything. Yes. And we see that in every single one of these stories. Let's do this. Let's go ahead and we'll wrap up this episode 
and we'll come back in the next episode. We'll tell a couple more of these yeah, stories. Yeah. I love it. And just stay with this, stay in this zone. Corey, just just pray into that. Like even that transactional intercession that we would step into those places that we would grab something from the heart of God. Well, this is the thing right here, man. It's to understand. And, and the famous prayer of the Hebrides is Isaiah 64. Yes. Oh, that and, and Duncan, there's an old message somewhere. And it's when God came down. Yes, when God came down. There's a book as well. Yeah. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down. I pray two things. I pray for the O of Isaiah 64. And I pray for the pleas of Exodus 33, 18. That there is in that pleas and in that O is a depth of desperation, of hunger, of humility, and of need. God, I pray that you would birth that. God, I thank you, Lord, that we can move the God of heaven and that our prayers and that there are divine transactions. What you did for that young man in Hebrides, God, I pray that you would put it upon every person watching this. I pray for divine transactions. I pray for depth of hunger and a cry from the depths that pulls on something from heaven that literally alters the trajectory of a life, an encounter with God that they're never left the same. I pray for a transactional prayer to be birthed in the heart of your people, God. Mark us with this, I pray, Jesus. Jesus. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll pick up with this in our next episode. Bless you.